You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Love. What comes to mind when you hear the word love? Maybe for you it's a person. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's your parents or your children or a significant other, a best friend. Maybe it's a person that comes to mind when you hear the word love. Some of you, you're a little bit more musically minded like me, and so you hear the word love and your mind immediately goes to love songs, right? And so for all of us in different generations, we had sort of these iconic love songs that hung on. And so we're going to play a little game here if we can. And so if you know some of these songs, you are more than welcome to sing along with me. Maybe finish the line, something like that. But we're going to figure out kind of where we are in this room. So some of you, you think of love songs and you hear, some loving had me a blast. Anybody in the room? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So some of you guys, yeah, you, you summer loving, some Grease fans in the room. Others of you, your love song is, all you need is love, 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 love is. Hey, there we are. All right, so some Beatles fans in the room. Okay, so all you need is love. There's some of you, though, like your love songs, you came from an era where your love song was a little more soulful, right? And so you had, what's love got to do, got to do with it? Where are you at? Got like a, this crew right back here, some Tina Turner fans in the room. There you are. And then there's, of course, there's the, I would do anything for love. You have to sing this song this way. This is how it goes. I would do anything for love, but I won't. There you are. Meatloaf people in the room, you're ousting yourselves. And then still there's some more melancholy folks that maybe grew up in my generation. Uh, And so you hear songs like, love hurts, love Oh, not as many of you, so just me, okay. All right, so there's some Nazareth folks in the room, all right. So, but love songs, right? We hear the word love, and sometimes it brings songs to our mind. We hear the word love, and it also brings emotion to our minds, right? So some of us, we hear love, and we think joy, we think happiness. But then there's some of us, we hear love, and maybe we think of kind of bittersweet younger years. Some of you hear love, and you think actually of sadness, Because the word love evokes certain emotions within us, doesn't it? Let's try this with another word, can we? What comes to mind when you hear the word church? Comes to mind when you hear the word church. Some of you, the first thing that came to your mind was boring, and that's okay. We could just be honest. It's okay. Just call it out. Let it be. Uh, Some of you, you think of the word family. You think of the word community. Some of you just word association, you think Jesus or God, yeah, maybe you have memories or emotions of growing up in church or even you just thought about this morning. What comes to our mind when we hear the word church? And I'd be lying if some of us in the room, we didn't actually have awkward feelings when we heard the word church. Some of us have pain 
or hurt when we hear the word church. But in 1 John chapter 3, I believe John proposes to us something that we all need to know this morning. I believe that he proposes to us that when you hear the word love, you should think of the church. And when you hear the word church, you should think of love. So let's begin in 1 John chapter 3. Today we're going to be in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. So 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning. In the Greek, that's the word arche. It means origin. And so you got to remember here that John is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. Okay, and so when we think about who he's writing to, that determines what he means when he's saying from the beginning. From the beginning of what? What he means is that from the beginning of the church, from the beginning of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, you have heard taught about this kind of thing. In verse 11, he says, you have been taught that we should, as followers of Jesus, frustrate one another. We should infuriate one another. Maybe I've got that wrong. You should send angry emails and texts to one another. You should talk poorly about one another behind each other's backs. You should allow differences in political and cultural leanings to take precedence over the mission set forth by Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples. You should point fingers at fallen Christians and shame them over sin, all the while ignoring your own. You should allow preferences of musical style or how a class is taught or how church programming is done to win out over the call of Jesus to take up your cross and follow him. Is that what that verse says, church? No. If Jesus has redeemed you as his own, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been given this message by John today that we should love one another. We should love one another. From the very beginning of who we are as a church, from our very foundations, the core of it is that brothers and sisters in Christ should love one another. The tension is that all too often the church is known for all that other stuff, isn't it? So we've heard John speak about this already in this letter. And he's driving home for us something that we must remember as the body of Christ. He's teaching us that we must give up things that we, quote, love for the glory of the one that we love even more, Jesus. John shows us that the lifeblood of the church is love. The lifeblood, the very thing that makes this thing go, is love. And so Christians should be known by our love because we are formed as the church out of a love that God has shown for us and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And today, John is going to show us that this love that we have heard from our origin, this sacrificial love of Christ on our behalf, should inform how you and I interact with one another. I love how the Christian Standard Bible study notes put it. It says, faith in a God of love 
moved believers to become people who love one another. Let's say this a different way. Our faith in a God of love should move us to love one another. Our faith in a God of love should move us to love one another. You're going, what do we mean love? What does that mean to love one another? So John uses this really interesting word here for love. Uh, Some of you know in the Greek there are three different Greek words that are used for our single English word love. There's agape, which is like a godly love. There's phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia. It's a brotherly love. And then there's eros, which is an intimate kind of love. In this sense, John uses a derivative of agape. He uses the word agapeo. And this is a really interesting word. It's only used 93 times in the New Testament. And every time this word is used, it's used either to describe Jesus' love for those the Father gave him, for Christians, or to describe the love between Christians. It is a kind of love that only exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't exist anywhere else. There's something unique about the love that is shared between brothers and sisters in Christ. The word is actually defined this way. It's to have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another's behalf. Did you catch that last part? This kind of love is especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. There's no question here that John is speaking specifically to Christians about how Christians are to act with one another. And it's explicit that this kind of love is not self-focused. It's a kind of love that gives of itself sacrificially. It's the kind of love that costs us something. Because we know that that love originated from the one whom it cost everything. And when we love in this way, a watching world notices. Why do they notice? Because this doesn't make sense, right? It's contrary to our nature to love in this way, to give of ourselves in this way. If, what if the church, if every time you thought of it, you thought of a group of people who always loved one another, who always gave of what they had to one another, who helped one another consistently without question. But I'd be willing to bet that when I first said the word church this morning, that's not what came to your mind. John continues in verse 12. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Here John's referring to a passage in Genesis chapter 4, where you have two brothers, Cain and Abel, chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, and so then John continues in verse 12. He says, why did Cain murder Abel? Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And then listen to what John says after giving this example, okay? Because we're going, why, why are we going back to Genesis, John? Listen to what he says in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Why does he put these things together? 
How did we go from talking about loving one another to suddenly we've got brothers killing each other and the world hating you? What is, how did we get here? See, John is using this example of Cain and Abel to compare a relationship between a Christian and the world. And when Christians live and love in a way that could be described as righteous, the same way Abel's deeds were described, the evil one will seek to destroy us. When a Christian lives in a way that is righteous, the evil one will seek to destroy us. And so what that means for us, North Canton Chapel, if you are making much of Jesus every day to everyone, you should face spiritual warfare. You should face opposition. You should feel the resistance of the evil one pushing against your every loving action. If you do not, it may be time to ask yourself the question, am I truly making much of Jesus every day to everyone? Because if you do not feel the breath on the back of your neck from the one who seeks to devour you, it could be that he is content to leave you alone because you are of no threat to him. John tells us in verse 14, he says, We know we have passed out of death and into life because we, what? Because we love the brothers. So we know that Jesus has taken us from our death and our sin and our awfulness, and he has taken us and moved us from death into his newness of life, and we can know this by our love for the brothers. Isn't that interesting? We can know by our love for the brothers. And then he closes that verse with, whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. Church, we should take this as a real gut check. Because if you are constantly frustrated with your church family, if you walk around grumpy internally bickering to yourself about the way things should be, do you realize that you may be guilty of turning the church into an altar of your preferences rather than a center of worship to the king of glory? In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes this fictional account where a demon named Wormwood has this job of discipling younger demons and how to distract Christians and pull their eyes and minds off of Jesus. And in this book, he makes this statement. This is Wormwood talking. He says, if a man can't be cured of church going, in other words, if you can't get him to stop going altogether, the next best thing for Satan and his devils to do is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Church is not about you. It is not about me. But that is a lie that we all too often believe, isn't it? Because I have no doubt that you're here at the North Canton Chapel because in some form or fashion, you either like the music or the message or I like what's going on for my kids. Like there's some aspect of this that you enjoy, at least I hope so. Right? There's some part of this that we just, we like it. But do you realize that our liking it is icing on the cake to the reason that we are actually here? 
When we gather together, we don't come together so that we can gain anything. We come so that we can give an offering of worship to Jesus for who he is and what he has done. When we come together, this is not about us. It's about him. And when we believe anything different, we are believing a lie. And we are becoming distracted from what Jesus would have us to do. You know, there's often been times, this is, this is a real tension that I feel, and I've, I've talked with Pastor Brandon about this before. As a worship pastor, I feel a real tension with this. Because I, I bet that if I polled pastors across our nation, and I said, hey, what's the number one thing you get an email about? And I don't mean the encouraging one. It probably has to do with music, doesn't it? Why? When we sang songs about love earlier, I bet there's some that you knew and that you loved and you liked. And there may be some that you're going, man, I can't believe that dude just sang that song on stage. Right? Like there's some songs that you love and some that you don't. Why? Because we hop in our car, we turn on our radio, or we open up Spotify, and we play the things that we like. And so music can be this incredible gift where we worship together, or it can be something that divides. And so as a worship pastor here at NCC, it's almost my prayer that you don't like every song we sing. Do you know that I don't love every song we sing? It's not about me. It is better that we worship together as a family than to get everything that we like. Because when we do that, our hearts focus on Jesus. And anything else is a distraction. But further... If you're in this room and you find your heart incapable of setting aside preferences and pride to love a brother or sister, if you find yourself incapable of laying those things down and saying, I will just love my church family, could it be that they are not your brothers and sisters in Christ because the Spirit of God does not dwell within you? In 1 John Chapter 3, verse 15, John writes, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If this is you today, my friend, would you repent and believe the gospel? That when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Christ died for you. That he paid the debt that you could not pay that he pulls you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that he desires to take you from the muck and the mire of sin and death and set your feet upon the rock of salvation. And may you today repent of your sin and put your faith in the God of love. Because our faith in a God of love should move us to love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John here is quoting this sentiment that he learned from Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 13, where Jesus says, No one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. This is a love that calls us to lay aside our preferences and our pride for the glory of Jesus. And make no mistake, Satan hates it. 
When we do this rightly, Satan hates it. And just as Cain sought to destroy Abel for his righteousness, when we love one, when we love one another as Christ has loved us, Satan will seek to distract your heart with preference and destroy your soul with pride. And so John shifts gears. And he begins to show us, because really at this point, he's laid out this theology for us of what this looks like to love one another. And so now he's going to show us practically what does this look like? How do we do this? So in verse 17, he says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, again, remember, brother or sister in Christ in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Strong words from John. If I see, if I'm blessed with the world's goods and I see a brother or sister in Christ in need and I ignore that need, it seems in one sense that John questions your salvation. How can the love of God abide in him? He presents this as unfathomable, that someone who has been shown such rich mercy and grace and love in the person and work of Jesus could ever close his heart to the needs of his brothers and sisters in Christ. So much that he asks that question. How does God's love abide in him? Like it, it's almost as if he's saying this doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. This is like oil and water. It does not mix. It cannot be. It cannot be because the people of God have always been called to this kind of love and sacrifice. Because early on when God shows his people Israel, he began to teach them some things teaching them that everything they have was a gift from him. They th- see, we have this problem. We think we own everything. We don't own anything. Everything we have is borrowed from our God to steward while we are on this earth. But early on, the people of God were taught that they were blessed to be a blessing. That God had shown them such rich mercy and grace so that they could show this mercy and grace to one another and to others. In Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 7 it says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And then Jesus' half-brother, James, writes similarly in James chapter 2. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? What good is it? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This cannot be. John then adds in verse 18, he begins with little children, which is this term of endearment that he uses for those who he is discipling in the way of Jesus. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, my mom was a southern firecracker of a woman. 
And she used to paraphrase this passage, even though she didn't know that she was. Uh, but any time in my young adult life when I knew that I needed to do something, but I was dragging my feet out of stubbornness or arrogance or fill in the blank, whatever, uh, she would often look at me and she would say, Micah, either go or get off the pot. You'll have to excuse her. She loved Jesus, but her crassness filter was a little low. Um, she would say, go or get off the pot. In other words, get on with it. Quit thinking about it. Quit talking about it. Quit pretending that you care about something. Go and do it. Go and do it. Our faith in a God of love should move us to love one another. So we need to quit pretending that we love one another and actually get on with it. John goes on to say that when, Christian, when Christians love one another well, it's almost as if it's a means of grace that we may be reassured that we are God's children. This is an evidence of the Holy Spirit working within us. Because like we said earlier, as we looked at verse 12, this is contrary to our nature to love like this. If we are left to ourselves, we don't do this. We need the Holy Spirit present within us to love one another in this sacrificial way. Read with me in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What's the commandment that we keep? John tells us in verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Holy, by the Spirit whom he has given us. I would submit that John is saying that this is an, that an evidence for our salvation is seen in how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 23 of that, of that section we just read, John is again quoting Jesus from John 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you, love, if you have love for one another. How does Jesus say that all people will know that we love Jesus? If you're a great biblical scholar, because you attend a weekly gathering, because you're in a community group, because you have stickers on your car, you signed your kids up for an event, because you post Bible verses on your social media feeds, because you smile a lot? Because you leave a nice tip? No. Jesus tells us all people will know that we are his disciples if you have love for one another. Now again, don't confuse this. This is about how you and I treat one another. How will a watching world that does not know me yet know that you follow me 
because of how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of how you love each other. Because they'll see you and it's not going to make sense. Because everyone else is looking out for number one. Do you see why love is the lifeblood of the church? Do you see why the fact that Christians need to have this love for one another is so important? It's so important because you and I, we can speak the gospel all day long and have it fall on deaf ears by the way we live and the way we treat one another. We can have the clearest, most eloquent explanation of Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his forgiveness of our sins. We can say all of these things perfectly, biblically sound and clearly, and they will fall on deaf ears if we do not love one another well. Mahatma Gandhi is often credited with the quote, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. You know, the rally cry of those in my generation who are deconstructing their faith, who've grown up in the church and they're kind of walking away from the church. Friends that I grew up with that are walking away. They keep saying the same thing to me, and it's actually the title of a book of a study that was done in the early 2000s by Dan Kimball. And the title of the book is, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. And in this study, uh, Dan Kimball shows us two things. And while his theology is heretical nonsense, his study is good. And it shows us two things. First, that non-Christians are people who would gladly sit down and have a conversation about Jesus. They just don't want to walk into a church building. And secondly, it would show that my generation began walking away from the church under that same banner. They said, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Brennan Manning is quoted by saying this in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You know, as I looked at this study, there's two things that I thought. First, to those of my generation that were walking away saying, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. If I can be so bold, I actually believe that they don't really like Jesus either. Because John has shown us here in this passage that if we claim to love Jesus, but we don't love one another, if we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's actually a contradiction of terms. These things cannot be. To say that you love Jesus and that you don't love his church is kind of like walking up to your best friend and telling him that you think his wife is a piece of trash. Now, I got to tell you, if someone walked up to me and said that about Kristen, I would have a hard time not biblically punching them in the mouth. It would take every bit of the Holy Spirit within me not to. And if you're a God-fearing man, it should be the same for you and your wife. I wouldn't call that person my friend. I wouldn't invite them to my house for dinner. 
Likewise, we cannot call Jesus our friend and talk trash about his bride, the church. However, what this study also says to me is that maybe for far too long, the church has been known for the things that it should not be known for. Maybe the church has done a poor job of of teaching us to love one another. Maybe we've just, we've missed the point. We've made it about other things. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten the love that we were taught from our very beginnings. We've been caught up in what suits us. We've been distracted by preferences and pride. North Canton Chapel, may it not be so with us. May it not be so with us. May our faith in a God of love move us to love one another. So what comes to mind when you hear the word love? I pray that it would be the church. What comes to mind when you hear the word church? I pray that it would be love. Because the God of love has shown us his great love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The band is going to come up and they're going to lead our time as we end in a song called Living Hope. And this song is a song about God's love for us. It's a song about his love that brings dead hearts to life and that gives us hope, not just for today, but for all of eternity. And so as they sing, you may need to do something. You may need to come forward to this space, altar placed in front of the stage, and maybe you need to pray a prayer of repentance over preferences and pride. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of forgiveness for not loving a brother or sister in Christ the way that you should. Maybe you need to pray for Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. He will. Or maybe more directly, you need to send a text message that person that you have not loved well. You say, hey, I'm sorry. I should not have treated you this way. I have not loved you in the way that Christ has loved me. And I need you to forgive me. However the Spirit leads you, do it. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.